The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to The Profile. This show is sponsored by Premier Christianity magazine. That's the magazine that I help put together each month. If you would like a free sample copy of the very latest issue, we would be delighted to send you one. Simply go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Type your details in. We'll send you one free copy of the latest issue of the magazine. Lots of interviews, features, news and reviews for you to check out. But today, here on the show, I'm really pleased to say I am joined by Pastor Doug Williams. Doug is the pastor of Emmanuel Christian Centre in the East End of London. He also speaks regularly at conferences in the UK, including Mission Worship and Kingdom Worship Movements, The Renewal, plus internationally, all over the world, speaking. And as well as being a pastor and a teacher, Doug is also a musician and a worship leader. He's married to Joan, and they have four children. Doug, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Sam. Great to have you with us. And we always start on the show by going right back to the beginning and asking uh, about a person's early life. So tell us something about you growing up. Oh, it's an interesting story, Sam, because it's full of uh, ups and downs for me. My my family, as I look back over my shoulder, it's a bit like a train wreck, really. My dad uh, had three wives, um, a wife in Nigeria, a wife in Sierra Leone, and my mum and me in London. She discovered this. And uh, as a result of that, she uh, broke away from the relationship and decided that she would move on to uh, try and get our life set up in either the U.S. or Canada. And, and while she was doing that, I was in foster care here in the U.K. and eventually ended up in a children's home. So a lot of my early years were in institutional care. And um, there is all, there's all kinds of stories with mm. that. I mean, I've I got to tell you, the lady who looked after me as a kid, a lady by the name of Mrs. Frost, an English lady, uh, for those who are listening in the radio, can't see I'm a black guy. Maybe you didn't tell me so. <laughs> but this lady took me into her family. And I've got to tell you, to me, she was the real queen of England. She really? was a fantastic lady, yeah. And looked after us as kids and, and brought us up. We had our challenges, you know, the issue of being a minority figure in mm. uh, color-wise in terms of ethnicity in the area. I had all kinds of problems for me. I was in all kinds of scrapes and fights and problems. And, uh, and, I, and eventually I ended up at this children's home, stayed there for 10 years until... Uh, an amazing thing happened to me towards the end of my stay there because a member of staff who was there um, was a Christian. I mean, everybody thought he was a bit of a religious nut. There was talk amongst the staff about this religious guy who was coming in. Uh, but he shared his faith, and, and, and ultimately I, I made a commitment to Christ because of his story and his testimony. Wow. So that's some of my early life and how it was, yeah. it was lived out for me. I mean, that must have been so hard, um, not just growing up, but I guess since then in, in dealing with that kind of a background. That's a very very complicated backgrounds. Well, you know, to be honest, you've mentioned that uh, I'm pastoring a church now. It's not, we've changed the name, actually. You've done some research ah. on me, and uh, we were Emmanuel Christian Centre. We're now Emmanuel Community Church because okay. the centre idea kind of spoke to the building, and we're, yeah. we're going, you know, we're a community of people. We're sure. going to focus on that. And because we're a community of people, people are my focus. I'm always trying to make the people work more important than the paperwork. And so when, you, when you're dealing with people, there is never a straight line with mm. people's lives. It's just, it is complicated. And so in many ways, the complex layers of my my own experience have been hugely beneficial in trying to relate to the people that God's put in my mm-hmm. in my view for care. So, yeah, I mean, I, I walked through my story of my mum and her, you know, being away from her family, being away from me. Um, when she was in America, she she went through racial abuse and she was attacked and she spent seven years in a wheelchair because of her injuries. Uh, I asked her, you know, when I when I met her, how she survived all of this stuff, and she said, because of me. She said, I knew somewhere out there was a little boy that would call me mum. Wow. And she said that was the motivation to get well. Um, so, so, so those were the kind of experiences. Ultimately, my mum went through a, a, acute depression as a result of the things that she had experienced, yeah. broken relationships, and the whole damage that happened to her life. And she unfortunately took her life before we were able to really, really connect as um, son and, and, and mother. But so I, I had those things in my experience and I talked to people about them quite openly, quite candidly, because, you know, to deny that is to deny her story mm-hmm. and to deny her story is to deny part of mine. So I think it's great to be honest and upfront about these things and talk about it. And it's just helped people. It's just helped people tremendously to, to have a pastor that's not afraid to be that transparent. Mm. Do, do you think that speaks to something in, in the wider church, something you want to share with the wider church in terms of being open as a, as a pastor? Because um, I guess plenty of pastors feel like they, they can't show 
even signs of, of weakness or signs of difficulty yeah. because they're in a position of leadership. I understand that. But then here we've got Paul as an apostle and a leader who says, I will actually glory in my weakness. I'm not, I'm not afraid of my vulnerabilities, proclivities or, le- or limitations because that's the reality of who I am. So I'm not going to deny reality. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not asking for pastors to get into the pulpit and, and wear their heart on their sleeve and look like they're a ragged, unraveled mess. Do you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, I'm talking about things which are real to me, but I'm also talking about a saviour who's walked with me through all of those things and so i think if people can see you as a leader with your limitations and weaknesses but have seen the grace of god working in that it kind of gives them hope for their own stuff you know and so that's why i do it i go this this is what happened to me i'm as regular as anybody else here you know Mm -hmm. i'm called pastor it's just my job i I got a call from god to do this you got a call from god to do what you're doing and this is how he's worked with me and is working through me and it just seems to resonate with people yeah so take me back to that moment where you heard the gospel for the first time. Tell yeah. me more about what happened next. After oh, that. well, it was interesting because this member of staff, his name was Harry Horsfield. He was an ex-policeman. So this is in, this is in, in the, the home, children's home. Yeah, children's he came home. to work in the children's home and I was watching this guy. And, uh, you know, he was just a nice guy, just a pleasant person. I, I kept wondering what he was going to look like. I thought he was going to walk in sort of six foot off the ground and with a halo. Because the way people <laughs> talked about him, he's so religious and so weird. And so I'm kind of intrigued at what this guy is about. I mean, I used to go to church, so I was kind of interested to listen. I used to go uh, to the Anglican church and, and sing in the choir. But um, when I was at the children's home, I did that with my foster parents. When I was at the children's home and was continuing to do that, I got kicked out of the church because I was in the choir and I was, you know, mucking about as normal. I was just constantly, you know, a jokey guy telling jokes, mucking. I never disciplined in that regard. And the, the choir director got upset and um, he said something about me and something about children who come from the kind of children's home that I was in, which I saw red. I mean, I'm like, how dare you say that? So I jumped over the the choir store where we were, grabbed the guy and smacked him in the face, knocked him on the ground. And um, and so here I am, <laughs> getting wrestled <laughs> with this guy. And, uh, in yeah, the middle I'm, of church? In the middle of the church, choir rehearsal. And then they came, they dragged me off, and um, that was my last visit to the Anglican church at that for a long time. So so I never went to church. But So I'm, I'm interested, though, when this guy shows up at the children's home and starts talking about Christianity in a way that was kind of refreshing because it just seemed like it was part of his everyday life and it was real to him. And uh, one thing tipped it for me, though. We have, we have these chores in the children's home that we have to do every week. And one of them was there were these huge, giant-sized dustbins that have to be taken out. And it's a dirty, smelly job. And But everything has to be done. You have to do your chores. I hadn't done mine. I, I took it up, I think, in the morning. And then it was on a, a sort of a pathway that it has to be brought back at night. And I'd left mine there. And I came home from school thinking, oh, I don't want to do this chore. I'm done with this. And so I got in. I got into trouble with one of the female members of staff who was berating me and saying, you need to go and get this done. You, you know, you've got responsibilities like everybody else. And I said, I'm not doing that. And I was got into a bit of an altercation with her. So he came into the room and he goes, what do you think you're doing? You know, and uh, he started lifting, raising his voice and said, you need to get your job done, son. You need to do this right. And I thought, oh, so here, here you are, Mr. Christian. You're just like the rest of them, right? So I went slamming out the back door. And unknown to me, he went out the front door. And we met on the pathway up to this dirty dustbin. It's a huge, big thing, taller than me. And he took one side and I took the other. And we, we walked it back to where it should go without saying a word. But in all of the years that I'd been in that children's home, not one member of staff had ever done that. And I, it was a simple gesture. Yeah. But it just stuck in my head. Wow. Like, why would he do that? Why, why, why would somebody do that? I, I don't know why that... that was so significant for me but it was and it meant that when he next began to talk about his testimony or chat with the kids about his faith I was all ears until one day he had some literature that he was giving out and said you know if you're interested in reading this or you guys have been asking me questions here, here's something to read I took that and I, uh, it was a, a leaflet by uh, the late Selwyn Hughes and I took it and I read it and by the end of the day I was convinced that I needed to give my heart to Christ you know there were a few things going off in my life anyway that, 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 yeah. uh, that had stirred me um, and what age were you then? I was 18. 18 years Yeah, old. I was hanging out with my friends and we'd go out. And so sometimes the children's home didn't quite know where I am. So if any of the members of staff who've now retired are hearing this message, <laughs> uh, hearing this radio for you, there were some, some weekends when they thought I was someplace, I was yeah. somewhere else. But I remember one of those weekends because I, I was helping a friend come down from a, a, a drug trip. And, um, and I'm, I'm trying to keep an eye on this guy to keep him safe. And we were out. And we were out. It was out in the morning, like 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm out in the high street. And I saw this guy stumbling home, a wreck, you know, drunk, vomiting over himself, urinating over his trousers, and he was crawling along a wall. And I watched this guy. I'm sitting there smoking, and I watched this guy. And honestly, Sam, it was like a voice spoke in my ear. It, it made me frightened. It made me, I was shaking. And the voice said, if you don't stop, 
that's your future. If you don't stop, that's your future. And I was like, I was shaking. I was like, what did I hear? I mean, I was, I froze to that spot. And so when this guy, Harry, at the children, was starting to talk about, you know, his lifestyle and how he changed, that kept rolling around in my mind. So it wasn't so long after reading that literature and these kind of experiences that I thought, it's time to give my heart to Christ. Mm. And that's what I did. Amazing. So um, having become a, a Christian, what was the next step for you? Oh, uh, well, eventually to go to church. Not, not straight away, because, I mean, I asked Harry. He was going to a little Baptist church in town. I said, can I come? He said, not yet. Just read the Bible. And, yeah. you know. and so I, I read the Bible for a good few weeks without going to church yeah. until I believed everything. You know, the concordance, the maps, the, <laughs> the, the content page. I mean, I'll just believe all of them, which was good because not everybody in my church kind of believed the Bible yeah. the way I did in yeah, terms sure. of you know real experience. But eventually... I, uh, I ended up going to the church. My friends thought it was crazy because, you know, I don't really have proper church clothes. Most of my clothes was for nightclubs or discos. So they're like, you can't go to church like that. But I did. I went in and, um, you know, the people accepted me. They loved me. It was very warm. I mean, when I walked in, I think the youth group began because before I got there, everybody in the youth group was over 58 years old. And I'm not lying. I'm not trying to be ageist. But there were times when in the prayer meeting, I'm the only guy with my own hips. You know what I'm saying? So, so the deal is, it was a challenge. But the reason why I stayed was because they just loved me. Yeah. And they gave me an opportunity to be involved in ministry. Now, that right. doesn't because I'm super gifted or something. Basically, if you had a, you know, a warm body and a pulse, you qualify <laughs> in that little church. So, sure. so that's what happened to and me. You, you were young. I'm sure. And I was young. And I enjoyed it. And person, and, and, yeah, there, were other, there were other people coming to it. So we got some great things with the kids and the youth and that little Baptist church. I've got some very fond memories of those days. Wow. Uh, I, what point did you feel like you were called to be a pastor? At what point did that yeah. kind of ministry Well, you know, after doing the children's ministry for a couple of months, I remember walking home late one night after a session with these kids. And I, I can tell you where I stopped. I could take you to the spot in the road. And I held my Bible to my chest in the middle of the night when nobody was around me. And I said, God, I so enjoy what I'm doing with these kids speaking your word to them and, and sharing. I, I, I really love this. And if you want me to do this for the rest of my life, I will. I'm serious. And I think that was the moment I said yes to ministry, you know. Amazing. Yeah. So um, you went to Spurgeon's College, I believe, to, I did. to train. Uh, what was that like? Spurgeon's College was great. Really interesting people. And, and, and for me, you know, coming from, um, I, I, I guess I stumbled into Christianity in terms of Pentecostal stuff. Mm. Because... Um, I was just on the back of a bus one day praying for my friends, and I began to speak fluently in a language that I'd never learned. Wow. And um, I don't know what the theology of the people listening to this broadcast is, but that's the reality of my experience. I tried to tell my pastor, he said, well, that doesn't happen today. I said, well, it did. It happened today. He said, no, what I mean is it doesn't happen anymore. So I had a kind of conflict for a few yeah. days until I, I theologically think I came to the place where, yeah, I was... Uh, happy to to accept what had happened to me. I spoke to some of the Pentecostal believers in a village next to mine, and that that pastor was incredibly helpful. And so I'm, I'm enjoying that, and I'm enjoying you know God using my testimony. I'm sharing my story around the area and, and all those kind of things. Um, but you know, underneath it, you always feel you want to go deeper. I lived with a Baptist pastor for a number of years, and he stirred me. I mean, every Saturday, would, I'd sit for a couple of hours in his office while he's preparing. I didn't know that he was kind of training or mentoring me, but he would say, this is how I do my stuff. And, and I, would, I loved his thoughts, and I loved his background. He would say some things, and, and then he'd go, oh, yeah, and this is the history to that, and this is the, you know, the theological context or the geographical context for these stories. And I thought, man, this builds such a rich picture and such a 3D understanding in my head of, of the text. At one point, I, I definitely will have to go to study in the Bible school. So I came to London. I, I did a two years in a very small charismatic Bible school with Elmer and Jean Darnell called Christian Life College. But, and, and that was great. It was great for heart and passion and, and evangelism. But when I wanted to go a little deeper in terms of, of my understanding of theology, yeah, that's when I showed up at Spurgeon's. And I think the backdrop to it is it's not that I go out every day now and try and tell people what I know theologically. But you can tell if somebody pre prepares two plates of food for you, you'll know the Michelin chef and you know the guy who, you know, learned from his grandma. Um, there's, a, there's a difference. Yes. And, yeah. I, and so, so I said to myself, well, I'm not sure that I want to go out and tell everybody this is what I know, this is how smart I am, this is how you, you know, what you learn when you go to Bible school. But it just gave me the confidence mm. to speak about things. And, and I think it's important that you come across in the t when you're preaching with yes. that level of confidence. So that's what Spurgeon did for me. I love being with the people, love getting exposed to all that kind of stuff. It was a great, great time. Fantastic. Um, so did leading a church come quite soon after that? 
Well, when I went to Spurgeons, I was already leading the church. I'd been applying, applying to the church when we were 27. I was working with a group called uh, New Life Assembly in Dulwich, a guy called Lovell Bent, and uh, a man who was probably known to Premier and the Evangelical Alliance called Philip Moabir. Philip was uh, a great guy. He started the uh, African-Caribbean Evangelical Alliance, and I worked with him as the kind of secretary admin guy in the office. So those guys were great mentoring influences to me as big brothers and father figures. And so I was already leading a small congregation in East Dulwich when I went to Spurgeons, which made it for me... Um, uh, more strategic because there were people in the class I think who were thinking you know this stuff I'm learning today do I need to know this is going to be the exam whereas yeah. for me it was, it was tomorrow really night stuff yeah, yeah I was like great this I could see exactly how to utilize this material and so um, that's when I you know I was already involved in ministry when I got there incredible and um, you were being given opportunities you say from from a very very young age um, is there something that you think was was in the hearts of the leaders putting you forward there who who recognized something in you from from an early age was giving you those opportunities yeah i think they did i think they realized that um one of the things was I, they felt that i could communicate well that somehow people listened and i'll tell you what happened when i came from where i was staying with my foster parents to the children's home fitting into something like that is always mm. a little difficult to yeah, find your space and find the pecking order where you are what i discovered is everybody likes to laugh and so at the children's home, I would sit at the children's home and we would spend those evenings when we had nothing to do, sharing jokes and stories and funny things. So when I went to my primary school, I'd sit in the playground and tell kids stories. I had crowds of kids around me. The teachers came over and said, what are you telling these kids? What you? In fact, they recorded me telling jokes so they could play it in the staff room. Wow. So I had all of these jokes and, you know, the timing of it all, the punchline of it. Yeah. I was just a kid, yeah. but I'm learning how to do this. And I think unknown to me, I was learning how to communicate. So when I got saved, I kind of still had a little bit of that, a way to connect with mm. people on me. So the pastors I knew and the Christian leaders that I knew were often trying to get me into a position where they're going, you know, I think there's potential with this young guy. Yeah. Um, let's see what what we can do. I mean, I, I showed up at meetings with with um, Philip Moabir that I probably shouldn't have been in. <laughs> and I just sit in the corner and then um, he would go, so what do you think? On the way home, we're driving home now. I hadn't yeah. said anything throughout the whole <laughs> meeting because they're all big guys. you know. They're, all like, they're looking at him going, and so who, who's this guy? And he goes, oh, that's my son. They're going, oh, okay. Nobody argued with Philip. So I'm sitting there thinking, I don't think I should even be here. But I'm listening. Yeah. And so on the way home, we go, so what would you have said to this? Or what would you think about that? Right. And so it was a kind of a dry run yeah. of, for me to have a uh, have a go at what my contribution could be in a context like that. I didn't know how significant that would be, mm. but it, it proved to be hugely significant. It, it sounds like there was a real culture of mentoring and discipleship in your 20s. Yeah, um, I think that was right. I had a number of good people around me who did that. But many people remark that today in lots of churches, actually, that there isn't so much of that culture. Mentoring in some churches, you have to really seek it. You have yeah. to seek it out for yourself. It's not something necessarily that leaders are going to put in place for you. Is this something that's missing? I think it is. I think it is. I think I've, I wrote a whole thesis on the, the role of mentoring in the development of Christian leaders. And I think without it, we're the poorer. You just, there were just some things which alert life to life and some things that I saw, you know, uh, in somebody's way of doing things and how they handled a, a crisis situation, how they were in counseling. I don't know how you can actually distill that down to an essay or, uh, or some kind of book. No. You just watched it and you think, okay, that's, that's how that works. Um, and without being close enough, without that level of proximity to somebody, you just don't see it. You don't get exposed to it. So we're trying to be intentional about that in our own church and try to make sure that whatever level we are, we're trying to put our arms around people mm. and walk a journey with people to yeah. help them do it. And, and they actually grow quicker and more securely when you do. Yeah. So tell me more about, about the church. I say you've been there over 20 years now. Yeah, at, I, think at I got Manuel. there in 97, yeah, as a assistant yeah. pastor. I was working with a man by the name of Andrew Coltart, who's still a, a dear friend of mine. And uh, in 2000, took over the senior leadership role. And so, you know, any mistakes in the church now are all mine. I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> so Nowhere um, to hide. Yeah, nowhere to hide. But no, it was a great church. It's there in East London and um, we now have uh, we had two English speaking congregations because we, we'd had one in a school and one in an old building we put them all back together we have a, a small Tamil fellowship as well and a French uh, Congolese speaking wow. congregation so a so good several hundred people who are in that church now and um it's multicultural and it's mixed across the generations and the ages. You know, there were a number, I think it was about five of us as pastors, maybe six, uh, who are pastors in the church now. Uh, and we're part of the Assemblies of God uh, denomination, although our links are way beyond the Assemblies of God. Our friendships go beyond that too. 
um, we're, we're kingdom people, really. So that's where we are in the East End of London, trying to be as relevant as yeah. we can. And I guess that, that diversity in who you've got in the church, is that fairly representative of the actual local community and the culture you're in, in terms of East End of London, you know, there being lots of different people with different backgrounds, and you want yeah. to incorporate that into church yeah, yeah. life? Yeah, well. I think that is. And it's a challenge to do it to try and understand people and bring them all together. But we are trying to do that. So we are, if you come into our church, you'd see it as very multiracial. We mix black and white people. But uh, if you look at the black people, they're not all the same. You've got Africans, you've got Caribbeans, you know, we've got people from Asia, the Tamil Fellowship from the Sri Lankan culture, uh, French Congolese people, yeah. etc., etc. So people from Nigeria, people from Ghana, yeah. and that kind of thing. So it's a great, it's a great yeah. blend. Well, what are some of the practical, I guess, difficulties that you may run into as a pastor of a church with a diverse and a mixed congregation that that those that are more mono, monocultural wouldn't have experienced? Yeah, I think it's it's the challenge for for people having to deal with those who are not like them and and walking people through the journey. I'm sure for a lot of the white people in our church. They probably look around over the years they've been there and gone, I've actually changed church, but I didn't leave the building. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird feeling, you know, because the culture of the church, the feel of it, the vibe of it as people come in. So you have to keep talking to one another. And uh, most of that learning is not done in a church service. We can have all our platform reconciliation meetings and, and bridging the gap, you know, in terms of ethnicity and culture type stuff. But actually it's when people get into one another's homes or share life together, they have a meal together, they talk about stuff. Um, that's when it really works. Mm. I mean, I went to one guy's house when I first got to the church, an English guy called Peter. And we, him, uh, my family went for lunch. They invited us, you know, lovely couple. And so while I'm there, he says, Pastor, uh, you, you probably want, uh, you know, some hot spicy sauce with your dinner. I know, I know you folks kind of like that. <laughs> I said, oh, wow. I said, do you, do you know something? I wouldn't expect you to have stocked this in your house and then you'd like that stuff. He said, oh, me, no, I can't touch it. It's too hot for me. I said, so why'd you got it? And he said, well, because, because you know, when people come to my house who have a different culture to me, they, they might do that. So I'm trying to accommodate people. And I thought, hey, Pete, you got it. You, you, this, is, this is what I want to hear, that we are just trying to make space for one another. We're trying to understand one another. It takes a little bit of time. Yeah. And t- takes getting used to. Yes. You know, I, I, remember, I remember one time a guy came to our church and uh, he'd come for the service. And, and uh, you know it's a bit rough, bit of a rough diamond when he's then boy. And and he was at the top of the stairs, looking down. And an African lady came up in one of these flowing gowns, beautiful outfit, you know, re- really regal. And she came up, it was red and white. And she came up, and he looked down the stairs, and he goes, "Up the gunners!" And so she's look, so she's looking at me like, "Gunners, what's the gunners?" You know. So it's just. Yeah, trying to understand how That's people right. are. She's like, yeah. what's that? I said, no, there's his favorite football team. And, yeah. <laughs> and and it's just all of that stuff. So as long as, you know, nobody, nobody's got, uh, nobody's too self-absorbed. Sure. We're willing to get over ourselves and talk and learn. And, and also, if, if we can create a context where it, it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah. So I, I, I get it wrong. I, 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 I make a mistake about what I've said about somebody's culture or age or whatever. Yeah. And I go, okay, well, let's just turn this into a classroom. We don't have to have a war here. Yeah. We can talk yeah. this through. This is yeah, why this sure. is sensitive. This is why this is painful. Because I, I guess, you know, no one likes to be stereotyped. And I can exactly. imagine another person reacting quite differently to the to the hot sauce example of, of saying, oh, actually, exactly. you know, I may look this way, but actually, no, I don't like spicy Exactly. Food. Why exactly. would you make that kind of judgment? Yeah. I mean, this is a this is a minefield, right? It, it really is. And that's why we're saying everybody just calm down. Yeah. Just, just you know, take a chill pill. This is, don't get silly with each other. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to be kingdom people here. We're trying to make sure that. We understand around the throne of God, there's every nation, tribe, and tongue. If God's happy with it, hey, you should try with that, mm. what, what he's happy with, mm. and uh, try to learn to live that way. And, sure. and you, you know, you're going to be enriched by it. Yeah. I like the tapestry of all of these cultures and colors. Yeah. I feel my life is, is definitely better for yeah. it. Yeah, I, I think, though, you know, we need, to have this, we need to have this conversation, particularly about race in the church. I mean, I, I always give the example, um, a couple of years ago, I went to the Excel Center for what must be the UK's biggest all-night prayer meeting. Yeah. Tens of thousands of yeah, Christians yeah. packed into the Excel <laughs> praying all night. Now, I, as a white Christian, I go to New Wine, I go to Spring Harvest. I didn't even know this event existed, yeah, if yeah, I'm yeah. being completely honest. And I think most white Christians wouldn't know that it's a black majority event in the Excel Center, tens of thousands of people Yeah, within praying. church. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, redeem, redeem, yeah. Uh, redeem and they church. would probably say that the Excel meeting is a small prayer meeting. Right. Because I went to one of theirs in Nigeria. It was absolutely phenomenal. I have never been in a prayer meeting anywhere on the planet that was like the one I went to outside of Lagos yeah. in their campground. It was just a very outstanding time of people seeking God. Yeah. It's called yeah. uh, it's called the Festival of Life. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, so that's that's a kind of small example of, of where I, as a white Christian living in the UK, 
am disconnected in many ways from what is happening in another part of the church, and there seems to be this divide along racial lines. Yeah, but now, I, I mean, I, I'm going to say that, Sam. You're not you're not at fault in that because I think sometimes even our churches of color haven't connected. So I would want to see that those who are coming over from Africa or from Asia or from South America are not sort of getting locked into their little museums of the sort of diaspora of their own culture and can't relate. So, you know, I don't want to go into a church that's mainly Nigerians or mainly Ghanaians or mainly Brazilians. I, I want to be able to see, look, if you're here, you've got some kind of manic to connect with indigenous folks who live here. And so if you, you know, I like went into one Ghanaian church and they were just singing in a local dialect. And I'm going, guys, the people who live on the streets here from London are never going to come and join you. Because this is, you know, so let's think through how we make connections and how we have access points. And, and it's about the, the mindset you have to, to reach the wider community. And, and yeah. if you're not mission-minded, actually it's mission that's going to help us do this. Yeah. If we're not mission-minded, we're not looking sure. out. We're not you know, reaching out. Yeah. So. yeah, but there are those, though, who, who would say, actually, if, if you look at the root of this divide, um, much of, if not all of the blame lies on those who are white who have been responsible in years gone by for racist attitudes mm-hmm. when immigration started to happen to this country and even in the church many um white majority churches were not welcoming to immigrants coming coming over yeah, what, it's do, true. what would you say to that no I mean, no it's true is, when is, I is there for... an area of repentance that needs to, to happen here as well in some yeah ways? when i was in the uh, west indian west indian evangelical alliance we called it initially and then it became the afro-caribbean evangelical alliance um or African-Caribbean Evangelical Alliance, there were a number of those stories. When I went to interview people and talk, it was good for me to hear these people saying, look, I came over from the Caribbean and this is the welcome I got in some churches. Or pastors at the end of a service would say, how much did you put in the offering? Here's your money back. Please don't come back next week. It's offending people, blah, blah, blah. Really difficult stories. Um, but I think over the years, there have been a number of expressions of apology and a recognition of that. And and I'm I'm saying, I don't know if it's still there, if it's still lurking around it probably is, but we just have to deal with it as we see it. But the next generation who've been brought up here, they have got a better chance to seeing all of that phased out, I think, mm-hmm. or at least de- really dealt with. Because the multicultural context of their life is everyday life. I mean, probably the only monocultural setting they ever get into is when they go to some of their churches. Yeah, sure. So, so they've got a better chance of building a church that more represents what I see in heaven. Um, And so we're working at that. And and of course, you're going to come across people. Attitudes are as they are. And you're going to find people as they are. But I don't want to to judge everybody by the attitudinal posture I find in one person. So I deal with you as an individual. If you come up to me and you've got a problem with black people, I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you. Um, But that's not, I'm not going to make sure, I'm I'm not going to say that because you spoke to me that way, the guy behind you or next to you is equal to that. You know, you've got to be careful with this stuff. Well, that brings us to the end of part one of today's show, but do stick around. We're going to be hearing lots more from Doug Williams right after this. There's a knife crime epidemic in our capital city. In the February edition of Premier Christianity magazine, meet the inspiring Christians bringing God to the gang leaders in the battle for London. Plus, Kay Warren talks about how her marriage to megachurch leader Rick Warren nearly hit rock bottom and what brought them back again. Sam Hales asks whether evangelicalism can survive in the age of Trump, where Sutton on what to do when God doesn't heal, and the amazing account of how Corrie ten Boom's unshakable courage saw thousands of Jews rescued in World War II. All that plus much more. Ask for your free copy at premierchristianity.com slash free sample. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales with you as we talk to Pastor Doug Williams and hear more about his life, his faith and his ministry. Let's listen in to part two of my interview with Pastor Doug Williams. Well, uh, Doug, I want to move on and chat about music because okay. uh, this is a huge part of your life that we haven't <laughs> mentioned so far. I know you're a real musician and uh, and worship leader. So tell me where all that came from, where the music side of your life uh, first, first stems from. I, I, you know what? I was, when I was... Um, in foster care with my parents, with my foster, first foster parents, the English family, um, they, their, their children used to go to working men's clubs, nightclubs and stuff. And so as a little kid, they'd take me along. But I'd learned to sing. I, I sang in um, talent shows and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and, and they would put me in the pub on the table or in the nightclub on the table. I'd sing, sing with the band as a, as a little kid. It was like, you know, they were surprised that this little <laughs> kid knew these songs. I'd learn them in my bedroom and then sing them, you know, uh, in these clubs. And so I always had that heart and stuff. I learned to play guitar a little bit, which I still enjoy. And um, so when I got to the church, I started playing guitar and playing for the youth groups and children's groups. And that was how it went, it really. Oh. I just kept on playing. got to the Bible school. There was nobody. When I first came to the Bible school in London, the first one in, in the Oval, there was nobody to play for the worship you know for the start of the college they said anyone play guitar and I went well I play a bit so then I ended up playing worship and then teaching worship in that place <laughs> and uh, as a result of that I went end up going to spring harvest and uh, I went down to um, Greenbelt one year and stood in the paddock and was listening to uh, a band player they were called harmonizers and I'd never heard of this band they're from London I thought man these guys are good I turned to a lady next to me and said these guys are great she said yeah yeah I know some other people in London like that where are you from and I said, London. I, d- I didn't even know who this lady was, this black lady standing behind me. But she hooked me up. My name was Juliet Fletcher. So she hooked me up with a band of guys, and it was a band called Paradise. And, uh, you know, I, joined, I was with those guys for a good few years, and uh, it was great. We had a single in the charts. We yes. did some churn around. We did yeah. the, the uh, Andre Crouch stuff. And it, was it was pretty, pretty big, right? It was quite big. It was, yeah. It was really an exciting You're being time. humble about it. You're being humble about it. I want to draw out some more of the stories, though. <laughs> no, no, it was, no, what, was, what can I say? It was, just, it was just great. The guys in the band were very talented musicians. We had a lot of fun. I, I don't think we were fully understood by some of the churches. I mean, some of the pastors were still pretty conservative right. in their yes, understanding. Yes, because there's what been a massive change in the church generally oh, yeah, on kind of yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, what kind of time period are we talking about here? With, with early eighties, we are early eighties. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the sound, um, we, you know, people were still nervous to play reggae as, as right. Christians, or you know, the soul sound that came from people R and B bands like Earth, Wind and Fire, and that kind of. We love that kind of stuff. Yeah. We love the musicianship. We love the dynamic of it. And, and and actually, a lot of young people in the church were listening to that stuff, maybe secretly sometimes, yes. but they enjoyed that too. So when they heard a gospel band that was going. Wow, they're doing that stuff. And the other thing, too, was not only were we playing there, I'm happy to stand up in between the songs and out of my Bible school training and background. Literally, I want to see these young people come to Christ. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to talk seriously. I'm kind of, I mean, I'm playing music, but I'm, I'm feeling like I'm a minister, really, while I'm on that platform and ministering and talking and sharing. So I, I, I guess they got up there and were like, you know what? We've got a young guy and young guys who can speak sensibly about their faith mm. and play the kind of music that we like. This is great. And so we had hundreds and hundreds of young people come to these concerts. And it was, it was a very exciting time for wow. us. What were some of the bigger events that you played? We played at Greenbelt. We did some festivals in Holland. We did the whole tour with Andre Crouch. So we were here, you know, um, uh, the London venues up to Manchester, Birmingham, traveling around. It was just great. And then, of course, the band had the single in the charts too. And so Fantastic. The, sort of the pop stuff, yeah. So what, what brought all that to an end? Um, well, the, the thing was for me, I came to a place in my own understanding of the band where some of the folks who were around the management and the influence were happy for us to be a gospel band, but kind of be band first. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we're going to present you out as a as a great soul act mm-hmm. who happen to be Christians. And I, and I, fe- I don't know if that was actually ever fully articulated, but it kind of felt that that was mm-hmm. there yeah. a little bit. It, it began to get that way, and I, I thought I, I'm not sure that that's what I came in for. Um, I, I understand that. I mean, there were Christians I know who are in the industry, and, they, and that's fine. You know what I mean? They go into the industry and they're just session musicians or background singers. But we'd, we'd come out as a band, as a gospel band. So when you come out and you say, actually, I'm a musical messenger, it's a different thing to saying, I'm just a muso uh, amongst many and yeah. my background. You wanted to emphasize the ministry I think, side I of think, what you I doing. think I did, and I, and, and I, and I thought, I don't, I don't want to be any fly in the ointment. If others feel that they probably want to try and pursue this as a career option, um, I think my career option is going to be involved more in ministry. So it was a really, really tough decision. I mean, when I, I mean, my friend in the band, a guy called Bobby Clark, he's a, like a brother to me, he's a drummer. And when I said to him, Do you know what, Bobby, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to drop out of the band. He was, they were all really sad um, because it, we, we had some fun on the road, you know. But I felt no, I'm, I'm getting tugged. I'm getting tugged to ministry, and that's that's where I came. And the band continued for a little while. I think they did another album. Um, I think I tried two more singles, but it, it never really went, you know, mm-hmm. beyond beyond that. So yeah, maybe it just had its season. It was done. Sure. Now, more more recently, I know some of your involvement in in worship music. You've worked quite closely with the Renewal event yeah. and Kingdom Worship Movement. Yeah. Do you want to? I mean, I've been to that event before. Amazing event. But I'd love to hear from you more of the heart behind that and your involvement in it. Well, the the heart behind it is actually the heart of a guy called Noel Robinson. And uh, people see it now. I mean, we'll probably be at... um, It's happening soon, isn't it? Yeah, it will be in February. We'll be there at um, 
uh, Ilford City Gates at the beginning of February, uh, 2nd and 3rd. But the issue is, Noel has this heart of seeing what can happen when people blend together and when worship is across denominations and cultures, because he worked for many years with Graham Kendrick. And and saw events in stadiums and stuff and thought, wow, you know, Noel could have been in his own right a great session guitar player and travelled with bands and made significant money if he wanted to. He's a very talented guy, but he saw that and got a glimpse of that. And I think somehow God put that in his heart. And um, so now we're seeing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people over the time that's been going, thousands of people that have come through that that event. But I think people ought to know that long before Noel was on that platform with any albums with integrity or any spotlight on his head, in his local church. He was doing the same thing. I remember going to meetings in his local church, which was like a sort of micro renewal event. <laughs> so he was doing that when no one was looking, which yeah. is which is the integrity of the man for yeah. me. And so that's why I thought I'd get involved. And he said to me, look, you know, I see you as having a, a significant role in terms of communication and sharing the gospel. Would you be prepared to come and be a part of this and mm. maybe come and do some teaching for us? Mm. So, yeah, I, 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 whenever they need me, whatever city they're in, if I can be available and my schedule allows, I'll show up and... Yeah. And uh, do some teaching and help bolster that. And it's been great to help people get a fresh expression of worship, uh, to get outside of their you know church yes. confines and settings, and and discover what it is. Yeah. To, to, to I mean, I, I guess I guess part of the thinking is that although we talked already about some of the, the sort of divides that can exist in the church, you go to one church and it's all people looking one way go to church, and they yeah. all are of a different ethnicity. Uh, I mean, I guess the heart behind the renewal is to try and bring this together. But it's interesting. I think Noel has remarked in the past that both groups are often singing the same songs, actually. And is is there a way that music can actually bring us together? There's a oh, kind it does, of common language. It, there it is. It's definitely wherever you are, there is that common language right across our experiences. Whether you're in church or outside of church, it just seems that music has a way of doing that and getting into the human heart and mind in an incredible way. So, yeah, and that's what's happened at the renewal. I've yeah. seen that definitely. People, you know, blending together, finding themselves in a context which maybe they wouldn't have done otherwise. They wouldn't have walked into one another's churches like that, yeah. but into this event, a bit neutral, a bit different. Um, they've discovered things that they like, you know. And so Noel's been very good. There's a real lovely palette of flavors on the on the platform in terms of expression and style, and we're making sure that people can find something that represents them and they feel comfortable with. But you've also got a chance to try something else. It's almost like um, you take you invite people around to a meal. You kind of think, well, what, what, what will people eat? And you ask, you know, what's any menu items that people don't eat or would like? Uh, but then you put some other little dishes around the side that they can just experiment with. It's not the whole meal, but you can get a little flavor and see if you like it. Maybe beyond our meeting tonight, you can go and you know enjoy yourself later on. It's kind of like that with the music. Mm. We give them a little flavor of different things, but maybe they wouldn't have been exposed to in their own circles. Yeah. And so it kind of broadens your experience. Right. Well, that is the renewal event. It's coming up in February. If you want to find out more information, look up Kingdom Worship Movement, the renewal, and you'll be able to get tickets and, and go along to that. Um, but Doug, you were, you were talking uh, a moment before about the band that you were doing and how that was reaching a lot of young people I'd love to talk today in your own ministry um, what you're doing through your church through your ministry to reach out to young people um, because many have commented that the church in general is kind of going in the wrong direction with age age groups mm. we've got an aging church mm. and not enough young people coming through many people would argue so so you know firstly do you agree with that and secondly if you do what is your um, way of trying to counteract that and change that in the church no I do agree with that I think uh, young people are finding a struggle to relate to a lot of things that happen in the church simply because of relevance issues and they, they want to know is all this does all this stuff work when I leave the building um, and 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 the style and the flavor of it all has it as has it got you know is it contemporary enough and then and does it relate to what I understand um, is happening in the rest of my life so I think churches have got to recognize that that's a reality that's mm-hmm. happening um, and they have to make some steps towards it in our own church we I think we've been intentional at, tr- at least trying I'm not saying that we've done it brilliantly but but the intentionality is evidenced by the fact that we have a youth pastor. Right. Michael Dewar is the guy in our church. We, we're putting money into his life and family in order to release him to serve our young people. Mm-hmm. We have another pastor who works primarily with children, uh, Pastor Chris Palmer. And so we've got two guys who have made their commitment to go to schools and into youth groups and connect with the families. And, and, and we have a youth conference and a children's you know, conferences and events to try and make sure that these young people have a context of, of, of kind of Christianity that they appreciate and feel is relevant for them. And it, it is it is working. We have our, our halls packed every Friday night with young people coming to serve and our ministry with children is having significant impact. You know, it, and beyond that, I got to I got to say props to a couple in our church by the name of um, uh, Titileo and Akin Oluwatidimu. They came to me one day with a vision to set up a school, 
and said, you know, this is how this, the church could get behind this. And so we have. Wow. And uh, we now have a, a free school, you know, a primary school, proper primary school in our area, which is another great way. There's these kids there that aren't Christians, and, and we love working with those families. Uh, and that, that's another way of trying to reach kids. And, and some of them have come over into our actually youth ministry and children's ministries. And, of course, you know, the government seen what we've done and appreciated it. And we've got permission now to uh, to progress to another school. So all of this is quite exciting, and it's, it's around the it's around the youth and children stuff. Yeah. So how many people are in in that? So is, is it the one or the one free school you got? At it's the moment? one free school at the yeah. moment, and we're up to year five, up with thirty in a class and a reception group. So it's going to be a good couple of hundred kids in there, a few hundred kids when when we finished, and then the next one, and who knows where it goes from there? I don't, you know, just keep going until we can do no more. I think people would be amazed to hear that a church even could set up a school. Um, that's quite an amazing idea for some people. So this is well, a- maybe it's only amazing because they don't read church history. I mean, Sunday schools were schools. They would teach children about numeracy and literacy to give them a better opportunity for economic progress. It wasn't just about Christian catechism and how to teach them the Bible. I think the reason why Bible teaching came in was because we didn't want to raise intelligent criminals. <laughs> and so, and so the people who started Sunday schools were saying, Do you know, we, we need we need a a moral compass, a moral center to what they do. And that's where our teaching of, of the things of Christ came in. So churches getting involved with schools and making that kind of impact on society, that's regaining territory we had before. It's not really that new. We're just trying to catch up with our, with our history. <laughs> There's been uh, an amazing resurgence almost for a lot of churches in, in recent years on whether it be free schools or running a food bank or doing street pastoring. It seems that that um, we're arguably reaching a bit of a tipping point where some of the wider culture, wider society does recognize Christians, perhaps even evangelical Christians, as having a positive influence yeah. and not just being known for what we're against, yeah. but trying to do things in the community. Yeah. Um, how significant is that? Is, is there, it, no, it, it is. I mean, because the shadow of the steeple has diminished and the church is influenced because there's been enough confusions and tensions and divisions and disappointments in church life. That's the, we've talked about the reality of people's weaknesses and vulnerabilities. They've been on show, and not only to the church, to the watching world. And so they've gone, you know, I'm not sure Christianity's credi- credibility has taken a bit of a hit. And so like Floyd McClung, who worked with Youth of the Mission many, many years ago and working in the Red Light District in Holland, he said in one of his writings, I read it from him, I don't know whether it's his quote, but I read it in his writings, where he said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that's where we're, we're now at, that people have got to be convinced that we care, um, that we're genuine, that we're in it for, for people. We're not just trying to get a religious scalp under a our belts and so i think yeah the church has got to get out there and got to be salt and light and got to touch lives and touch hearts and um and then we'll earn the right to be heard again mm. but can that only go so far i mean i'm reminded very recently of of tim farron the, the well-known politician mm-hmm. who throughout 2016 was quizzed time and time again his views on homosexuality and you know many christians would argue he, he simply gave an orthodox uh, christian answer to that mo- most recently when he was asked um, on the topic and he was hounded by um, well he didn't give an orthodox i've got to cut you there because he didn't he actually said he thought that that kind yes. of expression of sexuality was fine he, he didn't he didn't say that he did he to the bbc yeah to and, the, then and, changed, and then he changed yeah, yeah i think, I think he came into premier radio i think he, he came into the premier radio and said you know and he said actually i, I was wrong to yeah, give yeah, that answer yeah, to yeah, the yeah, bbc yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's he's effectively some, some have argued he's effectively admitted lying which of course christians would say is a sin as much as anything else but even so when he was trying to articulate a traditional Christian view, at least initially and most recently on the issue of sexuality, uh, many Christians said he was he was hounded. There's almost a kind of idea that that can a Christian with that view be in public life. Yeah, exactly, and that's going to and that's going to increasingly be the case because our world and even the church at the moment hasn't got a clear idea of a theology of fallenness. Look, in a fallen world, there's lots of things that people would say that feels real to me, but being real and being right are two different things. Now, you have to hold that in terms of theological conviction. And be courageous enough to say that that's my conviction. I, I'm not imposing it on you. You know, if you have a particular um, conviction about orientation, sexual orientation, or lifestyle, you're free to make whatever choices you want to make. You know, I can't control your your choices. Uh, I, I would advise you that every choice has a consequence, and I just hope the consequences for your choice are what you really want. But that's on you. The issue for me is what you can't control about me is my conviction. So if I have a conviction that that's not normative for me or that behavior isn't something I would consider to be what I want to encourage others to do. That's my conviction. Why should I be have the law imposed against me because I hold that conviction? 
So I think it, it's going to take a lot of courage to stand up in the public place and say, this is my view, I'm a Christian, this is what I stand by. I don't think we should be hounded for it, but we probably will be soon. Mm. Because if you say this sort of things now and it's all you know in law, you're not going to go down because of your beliefs. You're going to go down as a lawbreaker. But let's just be courageous enough to tell the truth. So it, it's interesting that christians can do all the good stuff they want in the community and they'll be welcomed with the food banks and welcome for the free schools but when we articulate a christian view on sexual ethics you're saying we are going to be unpopular and oh, that's, where, that's because, where we need the courage yeah 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 definitely, definitely it's already proven it's, i don't i'm not saying something that's gonna you know may may happen it's already it's already out there and i just think we just you know tell people we're not homophobic or anything like that we just I'm not frightened of anybody, you know, whatever orientation you have. It's just, we just have a conviction based on our revelation. And I don't have the right to change that. Now, you can agree with it, you can disagree with it, but I don't have the right to change it. And actually, neither do you. Are you optimistic about the future of the church in the UK? Oh, absolutely. I do. I think we've got a great opportunity to do something fantastic for God. And because, you know, we, we're kind of having to re invent our ideas about who we are and our brand there's going to be some very creative ways some very creative expressions of how the church connects with the community and does its outreach I'm looking forward to seeing how that happens So Doug, tell me, what's been the best day and the worst day of your ministry as a pastor? The best day and the worst day of my ministry (laughs) The best day and the worst day Um, I think the best days are when I see people getting it when i see people getting christianity and saying you know jesus has changed this in my life especially in family situations i think because of my own background when family life is broken when i see family life healed and christ is at the center of that i find that incredibly incredibly Mm. rewarding yeah um the saddest thing for me i had a season several years ago where a number of people in our church died um and, and, and it just seemed like every announcement was somebody's death. I mean, people left our church. They were like, oh, we're under a curse. This is so dark. It was horrible. It was horrible for me. And I, and I remember feeling so powerless and, and, and confused. I'm like, God, what's happening here? I went to a friend, dear friend of mine, and whose family member died. And this was probably the last straw. And I came home late in the night, early morning, thinking, I can't put my arms around this. I can't, I, I can't fix this. And I was walking up the gateway into my house. And I think that was the darkest moment. I was walking slowly to the door. And you know what? I heard a bird singing. The only time I've ever heard a bird singing in the middle of the night, man. I'm thinking, what on earth is going on here? I, I just stopped. I thought, what's going on? What is that? So I went back to the pathway where I'd parked my car. And in the tree just behind my car, where the light was, There was a bird sitting on this branch over my car, singing its lungs out. I'm like, what in the world is that? How how odd. And so when I get back to my home now, I'm ready to go through the front door. The thoughts that settle on my heart was, I need to learn to do that. I need to learn to sing in the night because it's not always easy. That was one of the darkest moments of my ministry. It's just the feeling of how do you... How, how do you handle stuff when you think, I can't fix it, I can't speak to this, I can't preach to this, I can't throw money at this? That's one of the challenges. And, yeah, ministry has its limitations. You can't do everything as a human being. You do what you can. Mm-hmm. And, you, and that's the, the rough lesson yeah. that had to be learned. But, um, so those two things, when I see families get healed, and the darkest moment is looking at stuff that you think, I just wish I could fix this, yeah. and I can't. Well, what do you think are the, are the misconceptions that, that Christians have of their pastors? Well, what's, the, what's the sort of the one or two things you'd say to to people who are Christians who, who may have sort of assumptions about what you do day to day or what your responsibility is or, or even perhaps what you've just said about you can't fix everything. Yeah, I mean, that, that would probably be what I would say to them. I can't fix everything because they think that you can. You know, you make a call and you're always going to be on, on tap for them. You know, if, you, if that's what we pay you for. You've got to be here to do this. And, and you go, well, hold it. I, I do have a life. I, I want to take care of my family. I want to take care of my kids. I don't want to lose my family while I'm trying to take care of yours. Yeah. Um, those are the kind of things. The pressure on, on you sometimes to juggle a number of different things i mean it's easy for some people to switch the light off in their office at five o'clock and go i'm done for the day Mm. but i don't know how to do that emotionally very well sometimes Mm. because i'm thinking of people's lives long after i've left the office and um and the concerns for their children their finances their well-being so some of the pressures are quite intense Mm. and i think people need to know when i've when i've got a break and when i'm away hey give me space to recoup that kind of thing absolutely i guess it's it's difficult to in 
in many many jobs increasingly um, to draw the distinction of home life and work life. I yeah, mean, I think even, te- even technology has done that, hasn't it? We yeah, have yeah. our emails at home and on our mobile phones. Yeah, it's, and it's when are we actually out of the office? Well, well, well yeah, that's well. Have a good wife like mine. Have a wife like mine who says, "Hey, it's time to quit." You know, turn it off. And I, I, I wish I could tell you that I always listen to her, but she'll tell you. You know, if I, if I said that on the radio, she'd, she'd, she'd email in and say he's lying. He's lying. So, so no. True to say, Joan is a queen of a woman. I, I, I have a, an exceptional wife, and she's been really helpful for me. She's like Doug. You need to be careful. You know what I'm saying? You've got your own children to take care of. You've got your health to take mm. care of, and we need time. You know, when you weren't in ministry all the time, you weren't, you know, there wasn't a big church and large responsibilities around you. We had time for each other. Yeah. Well, let's not lose that. Because yeah. when all this goes, it's still be me and you. Mm. And I, well, yeah, Doug, it's been wonderful to chat. Before we go, um, we should just briefly mention um, your involvement with Premier goes back a, a oh, long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly far longer than I've been here. Yeah, so sure. why don't you share a couple no, of your No, I remember I've mentioned the past that I joined at Emmanuel called um, uh, uh, Andrew Coulter. And Andrew and I had a program on Premier Radio, I think it was about three years, called Heart to Heart. And uh, so, yeah, we were here. I'd be here uh, recording and doing stuff. And uh, I think David Aldous was working with us then. Peter Kerridge would come to our church, John Pantry and the team. Uh, Crystal was here then as well. They'd all come to our church. And I think our church was one of the first church groups that came down to get a sort of tour of Premier wow. Studio and offices. Yeah. Yeah. So, before yeah. we were even in this current building. Before you were in this well. current building, yeah, yeah we were on the other side of Victoria. So. Yeah, it was good. I remember it. It was great days. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I mean, Peter Kerry used to say, yeah, I'm driving around on Saturday evening and I, I try and tune in and listen to your program. I felt honored, you know? Amazing. Well, Doug, it's great to have you back in again here at Thank Premier. You. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your life testimony and faith with us today. Thank you. Well, that's sadly all we got time for today on the show. Thanks so much for joining us as I sat down with Pastor Doug Williams. Do hope you enjoyed that. And if you'd like to hear more interviews with leading Christians from all walks of life, not just pastors, not just people working Christian ministry, but from across the length and breadth of the UK church and beyond, you can access past shows, past interviews we've done with leading Christians. Just go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile. And the other thing you can do while you're there, as well as checking out past episodes, is get Get this show as a podcast. More and more people are finding us um, where people find podcasts on iTunes and elsewhere, which is wonderful. Tens of thousands now downloading the show and listening in to the interviews we're doing. So please do join us on that format. If you like podcasts, then we would love to have you join us. That's premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile. And finally, a little bit of personal news from myself to share with you. As of this past week, I have uh, been made editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the magazine that sponsors this show, that sponsors the profile. Um, So I'm really delighted to say that I'm going to be taking the magazine forwards. You probably have heard on this show before, and indeed on Premier before, the voice of Justin Briley, who hosts the unbelievable programme where Christians and atheists come together for debate and discussion. Uh, A fantastic programme that's really going from strength to strength. And so Justin has actually stepped down from leading Premier Christianity magazine. He's done an amazing job over the past four years editing the magazine. He's handed that over to me and he's now focusing on unbelievable full time. But you'll still be able to hear his voice and indeed my voice on this show on the profile as we sit down with leading Christian Nothing is going to change in terms of the profile. Um, You'll still hear me and Justin and indeed many others from here at Premier HQ interviewing a wide range of Christians. But Premier Christianity magazine is, of course, the magazine that sponsors this show and will continue to do so. We're going to be providing you with some fantastic interviews in print as well as on air on this show. So if you would like to read our latest interview, a fantastic interview by Claire Musters with Kay Warren, that is the wife of Pastor Rick Warren, um, a really, really honest discussion between Kay and Claire. I do encourage you to check out premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Just type your details in and we'll send you a free copy of the latest issue of the magazine with that interview in. That's premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample, the magazine that sponsors this show and indeed the UK's leading Christian magazine. It's been around for over 50 years and so it's a real pleasure and honour from my perspective now to be editing that title. Why not subscribe if you haven't already um, or indeed get that free sample copy so you can join the journey with us as we go forward together as a magazine. But I just wanted to let you know that little bit of news. Time now though to hand over here on Premier Christian Radio to Dave Rose. He's coming up next with Premier Playback.